Good morning, church. It's good to be together this morning. Uh, this morning we'll be looking at Colossians chapter 2. So if your Bible is with you, I encourage you to uh, open there and follow along in, in your Bibles. It's so good to bring a physical Bible to church. I know that we're tempted to just look at our phones, um, but it's, it is good to have, have a physical Bible. So I encourage you to, to do that or bring one next week. When I first started coming to TCC, I found it hard to have a physical Bible because we would have brunch afterwards. And there's like nowhere to put my Bible. But anyway, that's aside. Well, this morning we're going to start off with a little bit of Calvin and Hobbes. And I'm not talking about the philosophers Calvin and Hobbes, but Bill, Bill uh, Watterson's uh, Calvin and Hobbes. And I just, I've always appreciated Calvin and Hobbes. So here's Calvin getting ready for winter. He's shoveling. Then he yells to his dad, Hey, Dad, why can't we get a snowblower? We must be the only house in the world that still shovels a driveway by hand. I'm freezing. His dad opens the door. It builds character. Keep at it. Pretty convenient how every time I build character, he saves a couple hundred dollars. Oh, Calvin. Uh, well, there's a lot of different strips uh, where Calvin is dealing with this with his dad. Um, there's times where Calvin is experiencing bug bites or he's going camping, numb toes. He's feeling like he's hungry in all these situations. His dad's saying, hey, Calvin, it's okay. It builds character. It's a good thing. And this is one of my favorites um, after all the character building. Uh, his dad's looking for his glasses. Honey, have you seen my glasses? I can't find them anywhere. I haven't seen them. Here's Calvin walking in with his hair parted, wearing his dad's glasses. And then he imitates his dad. Calvin, go do something you hate. Being miserable builds character. <laughs> and there's his mom laughing on the floor and the dad admitting, okay, the voice was a little funny, but that's one darn sarcastic kid we're raising. <laughs> Well, Calvin's dad rightly allows Calvin to have experiences that Calvin would prefer not to have in order to positively shape who Calvin will become. And all parents know it's important for kids to endure these types of things uh, in order that people would, our children would grow. The whole idea that we want our kids to become more and not less. We want them to mature. Well, this is important this morning because this is where we find ourselves in the book of Colossians. Uh, the Apostle Paul has introduced himself to the church. Uh, he's gone on to, to share praise and prayers of thanksgiving. Uh, he's kind of erupted with this proclamation of who God is in the person of Jesus Christ revealed to humanity. And, and Paul's just excited, it seems, as he writes to unpack all of these things. And then he gets into this section that Pastor Quinn started for us last week uh, where he begins sharing with them his heart as an apostle. What is it that God has called me to do? Why am I working so hard at this? Why am I writing you this letter? And that seems to be what, what Paul has been talking about in the, the end of chapter 1 and carrying on to into chapter 2. The end of chapter 1, his emphasis is on this reality that everyone would become mature. He, he desired that he would declare to them and make known to them the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ. And that as they learn the gospel of Jesus Christ, it would do a work in their hearts, that they would respond to it. Well, here in chapter 1, sorry, in chapter 2, uh, Paul kind of continues on in this heart. Why am I doing what I'm doing? He's using words like toil and struggle, contending. I I'm working so hard. Why is he working so hard? Well, this morning I want to emphasize that Paul's plea to this church was not only that they would come to know Jesus, 
His, his plea to this church was not only that they would be presented to God mature, but his plea to this church was that in all that they do, they would make much of Jesus. That they would make much of Jesus. See, Paul is sharing with them how he hopes his ministry would affect them. And you think about you going to work or school at the beginning of the day, and there's all these things that we have to do. We hope that by the end of the day, we will have actually accomplished something. Is that right? Well, in this section of Scripture, um, Paul pours out his heart of, of the struggle that he's having for them. And ultimately, I think we could sum up his struggle by saying that Paul's cry is that their faith would be resilient. My hope or my, my cry is that my, your faith would be resilient. I hope that the work that I'm doing results in a few of these attributes. First, he says that I hope that your hearts may be encouraged by the work that I'm doing. A better word perhaps is strengthened. This idea that they would have a firm foundation, that they would have joy in Jesus. Paul hopes that his ministry would, would do that work in them, that they would live with a confidence in their heart as they walk with Jesus, an assurance of who Jesus is. And he goes on that, that they would be knit together in love. He hopes that his work among them would, would, would unite them not around great ideas, not around good works, not around being a social club of a group of people with common interests, but that they would be united around love. And when we think about love in the context of Scripture, especially in the New Testament, we're talking about this idea of loving God and loving other people. That the very fabric of their church would be that of love. Love is the foundation of the Christian life. And then on the basis of that encouragement and on the basis of that love, he goes on that he hopes that it would produce in them the ability that they would reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. Be encouraged, be knit together in love and let it produce in you a greater, deeper understanding of Jesus. His hope for the church is that his work for them would result in them having the ability to distinguish true from false. He hoped that they would have the assurance to face what is false, but not easily be discouraged by it or turned towards it in their understanding. He wants them to be confident in their love for Jesus and their faith in him. Now the direction of all of this, of the encouragement, of the love, of the understanding, of course, is Jesus. Be encouraged in Jesus. Be united in a love that you come to experience and realize in the person of Jesus. Come to grow in an understanding of what? Of Jesus. Of who he is and what he's done for you. So as Paul is writing, he's saying, hey guys, I'm laboring for you to this end. That you'd be encouraged, that you'd be united in love, that you would grow in understanding. And what's neat about this passage is that Paul tells us why he is doing it. Why is he doing this? Well, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. I'm toiling to encourage you, to see you united in love, to see you grow in understanding. Why? So that no one would delude you with plausible arguments. See, Paul saw this young church under the threat of misinformation. He saw them under the threat of teaching that would lead them away from Jesus. So Paul labored. 
He struggled. He toiled. He, he got on his knees and prayed, prayed for this church. He, he discipled and, and worked with Epaphras, who was their pastor, and all to the purpose. They'd be encouraged, knit together in love, growing in understanding, so that they would not be deluded with plausible arguments. Paul longed that they would see in Christ Jesus that he was their greatest source of life. Paul longed that they would see in Christ Jesus that he alone was truth and that everything else was a counterfeit. Well, as I think about our text this morning, (coughs) as I think about this reality of why Paul is engaging in ministry, I think about our, our lives as Christians in this day and age, I think we too are a lot like the Colossian church. We too need to be encouraged. We need to be knit together in love. We need to grow in our understanding and wisdom of who Jesus is. Why? Because we are under threat of delusion, of plausible arguments, of misinformation. I came across a story uh, this past couple weeks of a photographer named Jonas Bendixson. And Jonas Ben Dixon went and wanted to photograph um, the, the city in Europe where a lot of the misinformation was coming up out of uh, during the election of a few years back. I don't know a ton of, about all of that. But what Jonas did is he went to this location. He took pictures of the town and the city. And, and this was the place where all these images were being doctored and a lot of false information was being produced. And he took pictures of all of this and he compiled it into, into a book of pictures And he put a documentary piece all around it. And he released this book into the world. Well, immediately Jonas was receiving all sorts of thank yous. Thank you for bringing this issue to light. Thank you for documenting this this misinformation. Thank you for all of your work. But Jonas says that no one noticed one thing about the book. Everything in his book, everything in these collection of photos was fake. In fact, the whole purpose of him releasing this book was to get caught for providing faked images. He wanted to find out if one, in his words, average geeky photographer could spend some time on YouTube learning different techniques about how to doctor images and then generate fake characters, a fake storyline, and all these fake images that had no basis in fact. The problem ended up that this didn't happen. Jonas even submitted the book to a, um, to a prestigious photojournalism festival, which immediately accepted the book as containing truth. Now, he has gone public with this and is raising awareness around the whole issue of misinformation. And he's working to help people see in a picture or in an article what is true and what is false. Well, we live in a day and age now where this issue of fake news and misinformation is a hot topic, isn't it? We have different social media platforms like Facebook or what are they called now, Meta or whatever it is, who are on trial around this whole issue of, of um, this, they're on trial with this whole issue in regard to enabling the havoc of misinformation. And when I think about misinformation, we've all been victims of it, haven't we? Be it an experience of getting directions and finding ourselves lost that the information we were given on how to get to where we're going was wrong. Or as Jenna pointed out for us in the video, sometimes we could get a recipe, and we're told that this recipe is going to be amazing, and the smoothie is going to taste great, and we make it, and it's horrible, and it does not deliver in the ways that we had hoped. 
Or perhaps we have had an experience of, of someone telling us, you're giving us over-exaggerated hope around a fantasy football pick, but our team is just not performing the way that we wanted. I'm sure all of us have purchased a product that did not deliver the way that it promised. Or we've found ourselves ready to pay for a product and being told that there's all these additional fees and all these different things that we need uh, for us to have that product, and we end up paying more than we want. We've all been victims of these types of things. But what about the bigger examples? When we think about messaging in our culture around the whole idea of what will make us happy, we hear all sorts of different messages from our culture. Our world tells us that if we just have the right type of income, then we will be happy. If we just experience sexual fulfillment, then we will be happy. If we just have the right job and are able to have the right type of leadership or exercise the right type of influence in the world, then we'll be happy. If we just achieve the right types of pleasures or experiences or mindset, then we will be happy. In each of these areas, we're told that the right investment or the right pursuit or in, in any or all of these will lead to a fulfilled life. But do we stop and ask the question, is it true? Will these things actually lead to the abundant life that we long for? And we find ourselves running through life, chasing after all these different things, wondering, why aren't I happy? Why, I just need this other thing. I just need this other piece of information. I just need this other experience. Then I'll be happy. But why am I so unhappy? When the pursuit of these make, will the pursuit of these things make us more or less of what God made us to be? Or are all these things just another form of misinformation? Doctored images of happiness attempting to mimic reality. Now, I don't necessarily think that any of these things are wrong. But what happens is good things can become an ultimate thing. And we end up setting aside what is ultimate. <laughs> we end up setting aside Jesus as a source of our happiness. Well, in this world of misinformation, our heads can spin. We wonder what is true. We wonder, how are we supposed to navigate all of this stuff? How are we supposed to get it straight? And to this question, I believe Paul answers that we need to make much of Jesus. We need to make much of Jesus. You see, Paul recognized that followers of Jesus would be invited to believe all sorts of things. He recognized that truth would be contended for. Paul recognized that offers of happiness, offers of, of experiencing hope and peace and love would, would come to us. Paul recognized that widespread options of how to navigate life would abound, inviting and calling people away from Jesus. But Paul calls all of this delusions, plausible arguments. He recognized that followers of Jesus would be exposed to misinformation and deception. And his heart was that they wouldn't fall for it. His message to the church in Colossae is relevant to us this morning. That we help to keep ourselves in the truth as we make much of Jesus. Friends, in all of the head spinning, in all the confusion, in all of the examining of our lives 
and wondering how we can go about our lives better. We need to make much of Jesus. We need to make much of Jesus. And this is what Paul is getting at. And Paul is pointing out that it is actually so easy for us to not make much of Jesus. Paul identifies that Jesus is the mystery of God. He's the mystery of God that everyone is looking for. You know, in the ancient world, you didn't have to convince people that there was a God. In our day and age today, atheism is is running rampant. This idea of, well, there is no God. God is dead. You had to convince people in the ancient world that your God was true, relevant, or valuable. Not that there was a God. But by Paul inviting people to consider God's mystery, ears would have perked up. If someone said, hey, I know the mystery of God, people would go, oh, what is it? Is it true? Is it right? Tell me about this God. Tell me about this thing that you know. And while our culture is typically more atheistic, um, we are also people who our ears perk up when we hear about offers of hope or peace or, or life abundant. Just think about how your own ears perk up when you hear about findings of latest research or a new product or some sort of celebrity opinion. When we hear about these things, we wonder, is this finally the thing that I've been missing? Is this the information that I need for my life to be better? Is this the product that I need that will help me overcome these things that frustrate me and drive me crazy? Ultimately, this question of what is God's mystery, I believe, is the question that our culture asks, which is, how do we live our best lives and thrive as humans? How do we live our best lives and thrive as humans? Why are we here? Why do I exist? What is my purpose? These are the mysteries of life. And whether you're a Christian or not, whether you believe in God or you don't believe in God, people are asking these questions. But Paul lands the blow. He says, Jesus is the mystery of God revealed. You want to know the mystery of God? Look to Jesus. You want to know how to get the most out of life without blowing it? Look to Jesus. You want a peace that passes understanding? You want a hope that is grounded in eternity in God? You need to look to Jesus. You want to experience all the riches and pleasures and satisfaction that your heart longs for as God made you to experience them? You need to look to Jesus. Jesus is the mystery revealed. Jesus is Christ in us, the hope of glory. With Christ in us, we are welcomed into a relationship with God that resources us with all that we need to experience this life the best possible way and for eternity. Christ in us is God stepping in to deal with our sin, with our disordered loves, because it's not something that we could do on our own. And this is why we need to make much of Jesus. He is the mystery of God revealed. He is the answer to the questions that people have been asking for generation after generation after generation. Every other attempt to answer the question of what is the mystery of God revealed, it's a counterfeit truth. It's not real. But not only this, not only does does Paul hold up Jesus as the answer to that question, he doesn't just hold up Jesus as, as the mystery of God, but he goes on to say that Jesus is exclusively the mystery of God. He goes on to say that Jesus is the only way. 
He says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now again, in our day and age, to hear about wisdom and knowledge, we might think about academics or someone who's really smart. But in the ancient world, the idea of, of, of wisdom and knowledge, you know, if you had wisdom and knowledge, you had it all. You had life figured out. I don't have this on our screen, but in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13 to 18, we read that blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her, from wisdom and understanding, is better than the gain from silver. And her profit is better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand and in her left are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of plenty. Uh, our pleasantness and her paths are peace. She is the tree of life to those who lay hold of her and those who hold her fast will be called blessed. That was the ancient understanding of wisdom and knowledge. Even Aristotle believed that wisdom and knowledge were two of the three chief virtues that one could ascribe to. Essentially, if you had wisdom and knowledge, you had the good life. And Paul is saying that It's found in Jesus. It's found in Jesus. You want wisdom and knowledge? You're going to find it in Jesus. And here Paul says that it's hidden, which is not in the sense that it's kept concealed, because Paul's already said that this mystery has been revealed to us, but rather that all of the mysteries, all the wisdom and knowledge is stored up in Christ. Have you ever been to a grocery store and you just can't find what you're looking for, but you know that it's there? This happens to me every time I go to a grocery store, right? It's like I'm looking for this specific thing. Jolene and I really like a very specific brand of yogurt. We like it to be a certain percentage of fat content and all this. And I'm at Superstore looking everywhere for this yogurt. I cannot find it anywhere and I'm going crazy. I know it's there. That's kind of what Paul is getting at. He's not talking about yogurt. Um, But this idea that you know that it's there. The wisdom and the knowledge, it's in Christ. You might not see it right now. You might have trouble finding it. You might, you might not have access to it the way that you want to, but it's there. You just need to go looking for it. It's there. We find treasures in Christ as we look for them. Paul is saying that in Jesus alone will we find all the treasures that we're looking for. That in Jesus alone we'll find better hope, we'll find better peace, we'll find better love. And Paul recognizes that this idea is going to be so contended for. It's going to be so contended for. And I don't know about you, but this truth has been so contended for in my own life. To go back to the store analogy, the temptation that so many of us experience in our relationship with Jesus is that when we feel like Jesus isn't sufficiently answering the questions we have, we leave the store. And we go somewhere else looking for wisdom and understanding. We go somewhere else looking for hope and peace and joy and satisfaction. And I I don't know about you, but every time I do that, I come up empty. I fall short. But the temptation to leave that store, to go somewhere else, to look for satisfaction and the answers to life's questions and something other than Christ is ultimately futile. Commentator Peter O'Brien says to search for other sources of knowledge apart from him is a useless enterprise. So we need to look for what we need in regard to living life in Jesus. We need to believe that in Him really is all 
of the treasure. Did you get that word? All? All of it. Paul is saying that it's all stored up in Jesus. It's all stored up in Jesus. Now to this end, Paul praised the Colossians. In verse 5 of our text this morning, he says that for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit. I'm rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. He identifies that there's good order among them and that their faith is indeed firm. And he's praising them for that. The NLT says that you are living as you should and your faith is strong. What about you this morning? When you think about your faith in Jesus, do you see good order and firmness? When you think about your faith in Jesus this morning, does it feel strong? Are you making much of Jesus? Are you looking to him for satisfaction, for joy, peace, hope, love, identity, and purpose? As I promise you, if you look for those things in him, you will find them. Well, this morning, perhaps you're here and you're actually wondering about Christianity. Maybe you're just checking out faith. You're checking out God and church. Or you're just browsing different churches online. God bless you. Welcome here. And in your wondering about Christianity, you, you have lots of questions. My encouragement to you is to keep asking. Keep asking questions. And hear Jesus' invitation in John chapter 10, verse 10, where he says that I have come to give you life and life abundant. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So hear the invitation from Jesus to come and give him your all. To say, Jesus, I trust you. I trust that I'm going to find the answers to life's biggest questions in you. Or perhaps this morning you're here and you're, you're wrestling with doubt. You made a commitment to Jesus maybe when you were younger and you were full of faith at an earlier time in your life and you just feel like that faith has been sucked out of you or you're saying, man, I think it was just my parents' faith. You know, I grew up in the church and it was all good. I loved all that stuff in junior high and high school, but I don't know. I'm an adult now. I'm learning all this stuff. If you're wrestling with doubt, if you're full of questions, if you're full of confusion, first of all, I want you to hear it's okay. It's okay for you to doubt God. It's okay for you to question God. God is bigger than your questions. He's bigger than your doubts. He can handle your anger and your frustration. If you feel like God's disappointed you, it, it's okay to tell him that. He can handle your disappointments. So it's okay if you're full of questions, but I plead with you, don't leave the store. <laughs> Don't think that running after all sorts of other things, you're going to find the answers that you're looking for. You might for a moment, but ultimately it is a counterfeit of the truth. My encouragement is that if you are full of doubt, don't allow yourself to be led astray. There's this beautiful story in the Gospels of Jesus in John chapter 6 and he's teaching about his blood and his body and it's super confusing and it's really weird and it gets to the end of his message and all these people leave Jesus. They're like, this guy is nuts. And he turns to his 12 disciples and he says, are you going to leave too? 
And Peter's response is beautiful. And whenever we hear Peter responding to Jesus in the Gospels, he's a representation of all the disciples. The disciples are turning to Jesus and they say, Jesus, to where else will we go? You alone have the words of life. So if you're here this morning and you're full of doubt, hear those words of the disciples who looked at their Savior and they say, Jesus, we're confused. We don't get what you're doing. We're really, we're just like, you probably shouldn't have said that stuff. It really bothered me that you said that stuff. But ultimately we know you alone have the words of life. So we're staying with you. I'm staying with you in my doubt. I'm staying with you in my confusion. I'm staying with you in my hurt, even though it doesn't make sense and it doesn't feel very good. But you alone have the words of life. So we journey in our doubt. We journey with God in our questioning, in our confusion. And we need to do that with others as well. If you feel like you're alone in your doubt and your journey, I encourage you, reach out to a friend. Reach out to a pastor. Reach out to someone. Don't go through life's big questions alone. Or maybe you're here this morning and perhaps you've given up on God speaking to certain areas in your life. You feel like, well, you know, it's, it's so good. I, I come to church on Sundays. I love worship music. You know, I, I like the Bible. It's a good source of morality, but I don't really read it other than that. I, you know, Christianity is great. It's my religion. When I die, I'm going to heaven. But all that other stuff, my work life, my family, the way I manage my finances, that's, that's me. Like God doesn't need in on that. Well, if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you. Bring it all to Jesus. Bring it all to Jesus. Let your life, your managing of your work and your finances and your family and your pleasure and your leisure and your hobbies, invite him into all of it. And understand that in him is riches and joy. Or perhaps this morning you're here but you've never allowed God to actually speak to other areas in your life. You know, Jesus tells us a story of the rich young ruler who, who comes, to, comes to him and says, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus' response, love God, love others. He tells him that you need to keep the Ten Commandments, honor your mother and father. He says, yeah, I've done all of these things. What else do I need to do? He says, well, sell all that you have and follow me. Sell all that you have and follow me. And we read that this rich young ruler walked away from Jesus sad and disheartened. Why? Because he had a lot of wealth and he wasn't willing to give it up. Well, this morning is an invitation to us to come and taste and see that in Jesus he truly is better. That we can give these things up. That we can surrender our riches. We can surrender all these different pursuits in our life and say, Jesus, I want to pursue you first. My prayer is that your faith would be found in good order and that it would be strong. Well, friends, this morning as a community, we want to to celebrate this great mystery of God. As we take communion this morning, And no matter how you come today, no matter how you come, I want you to know that as we take communion together, if we come to a table, we come to a table of grace. Communion reminds us of what Jesus did for us on the cross.
God offering to us his, his son in order that we would have what we could never have attained on our own. And Jesus taught his disciples to remember his death on the cross by eating bread and drinking wine. Which is a powerful image, isn't it? The image of food. Because food is supposed to satisfy us, right? When we're hungry, we, we go to the fridge and we, we get out the food that we desire and we eat it and we consume it and we are satisfied. Well, Jesus pointed to these ordinary elements, bread and wine. And he invited them to be satisfied in that. Be satisfied in this image of his broken body and his poured out blood. The mystery of God revealed in the person of Jesus. Eugene Peterson in the message translates Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes. He says that you are blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. For he is food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And we're going to, hopefully everyone has uh, communion elements. For those of you who are at home, uh, it's a great time to just grab uh, whatever you need to take communion as a family. Um, And for those of you who are here, if some of you did not receive the communion elements when you came in, maybe raise a hand. Uh, One of our ushers will try to to get you what you need for that. Um, But we're going to, take a moment to sing a song that reflects on the person of Jesus. And as we sing this song, I invite you to meditate on how, on how in Christ, on the basis of his death and resurrection, on the basis of his broken body and poured out blood, which you symbolically hold in your hand, that you are welcomed home by God to experience the life that you were made for in him. That you were invited to experience freedom from the slavery to sin and life by God's Spirit. So as we sing this song, I just encourage you to hold those elements in your hand and reflect on the great mystery of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ and hear Paul's invitation to understand and believe that in that mystery are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That in that mystery are hidden all that we need, all that we need to be satisfied. Let's pray together. And Father God, we thank you that we can come together in this way this morning. Lord, and as we reflect on this mystery revealed in the person of Jesus, as we hold these elements in our hand, Father, may we just reflect on all that we have available to us in Christ because of what he has done. That mystery revealed in the person of Jesus. God, speak to our hearts today, we pray. Amen.